Diddy Temple. This live stream is just part of our Sunday worship. And if you'd like to join us here at City Temple or via Zoom, you can email us at info at city-temple.com. We're welcoming today Pastor Rod, who will continue his series, Ancient Words for a New Day. Well, if you have your Bible with you, we're going to turn to three places today. First of all, Hosea, and then to Ezekiel. Now, that's going to be kind of confusing because Hosea comes after Ezekiel, but we'll read Hosea first, Ezekiel second, and finally, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Before we read, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for your word. I pray that you'd speak it to us today and help us to live in obedience to it for the glory and honor of your son, Jesus. And let your Holy Spirit fill me up to preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore, the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish, and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Yet, let no one contend, and let none accuse, for with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day, the prophet also shall stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. And then to Ezekiel. Okay, you think that's tough. Wait till we hear what Ezekiel has to say. Ezekiel chapter 13, starting with verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are prophesying and say to those who prophesy from their own hearts, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. You prophets have been like jackals among the ruins, O Israel. Your prophets have been like jackals among the ruins, O Israel. You have not gone up into the breaches or built up a wall for the house of Israel that it might stand in battle in the day of the Lord. They have seen false visions and lying divinations. They say, declares the Lord when the Lord has not sent them. And yet they expect him to fulfill their word. Have you not seen a false vision and uttered a lying divination whenever you have said, declares the Lord, although I have not spoken? And then finally, Let's go to some happier verses, mostly. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul is writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God 
and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, what an incredible day yesterday was, right? Uh, we all rejoice with uh, Emma Raducanu and her victory at the U.S. Open. Uh, that was kind of a, a fun kind of thing. Uh, we just pray that uh, God will connect her with Jesus if he hasn't done so already and keep her there and protect her uh, in this next season of her life. But then also, more sober, soberingly, uh, it was the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks in New York. And uh, many of us remember exactly where we were on that day. Uh, I remember where I was. I was in a Denny's restaurant when I first saw what was happening that afternoon. Uh, I was on the traveling during the day when it actually occurred and uh, just couldn't believe what was going on. But for me, that also marks another 20th anniversary, or at least a 20th anniversary week, and that's the 20th anniversary of my coming to City Temple. Because we were originally supposed to fly on 9-11. We had our flights that night, and when I was told that morning uh, by my executive presbyter uh, that all the airports in the United States were closed, I thought he was playing with me because I thought we'd never do something like that. And yet that's exactly what happened. And all that week we didn't know if we were going to get here or not, uh, but I called that afternoon when people were waiting for four or five hours on the phone uh, to get through their airlines. I waited four or five minutes and got through, and they said, well, we'll put you on the first flight that we think will probably go out of St. Louis, and that will be that Friday night, which was the 14th. And uh, uh, so as not to tell this story too long, uh, I did make it on the 14th. Uh, contrary to everybody's expectation, uh, we got here on the 15th at 11 a.m., arrived here at the building, uh, had a bit of a rest, got cleaned up a little bit. At 1 o'clock, we had our first worship team practice. At 3.30, I was inducted and ordained into the URC followed by a reception uh, that day. And then the next day on, what does uh, that be the 16th now? Uh, that The next day, the 16th, was the first day that I preached and led worship here at City Temple. And by the way, the last day that I preached and led worship at my church in St. Louis was the 9th of, no, uh, of September. So just a week. So in a week, all of that happened. And I still look back on that and say, a crazy man, you know, a crazy man. But we got in there, 
Uh, and I don't know, it's been uh, an interesting journey, and I think uh, a good journey in lots of respects. I mean, I've known Sylvia all that time. I actually knew Sylvia before I came, as well as Cliff and Simon. Uh, knew Samuel. Uh, now Samuel was, was a little smaller then, a lot smaller then. But, you know, one of, one of the proudest things about Samuel is I think one of the first times he saw me playing guitar, he went home and started playing the tennis racket. And after he got really good with the tennis racket, uh, uh, his mom bought him a guitar, and uh, the rest is history. And now the guy is one of the finest lead guitarists, especially in any worship team that I know of, in the world. In the world. I mean, I'm just so proud of these guys. I mean, Amy, man, I, I met Amy. We got a picture of Amy when she was a wee little thing. We showed it to some people uh, a year ago when we were doing some clean-outs and things like that. And then her dad, I've been good friends with her dad, and of course the Anapouches, they started coming. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I think uh, they started coming before Ade saw daylight the first time. And, uh, and all of that, and there's Io now, and you see all of this. And then, of course, there's Marilyn. Marilyn, I think, was the first person I baptized here at City Temple. And she's been with us all that time. Uh, then you got Christine, who's not here today, unfortunately. She couldn't get back today, but she's walked with us all that time. And uh, uh, Inchung, oh, I knew Inchung back then. Uh, that's before you kids were, were even a, a, a gleam in your dad's eye, uh, as they say. Uh, and uh, before I knew his beautiful wife, and uh, clearly he married up in the world. Uh, that's, what, uh, that's what everybody says, but... Uh, Incha was such a great guy and so faithful, so faithful in the house of God. And here he is, you know, all these years later, he's still faithful in the house of God. And uh, then there's Andrew. Andrew, uh, I, know is, I think, is watching on. I uh, couldn't be here today, but uh, boy, Andrew's been around almost the 20 years I've been here. I still remember when I first saw Andrew, he had piercings everywhere, including his tongue. I don't know why anybody gets a tongue piercing, but the Lord quickly taught him the, the big lesson when some of our other friends in the church had their first baby and the baby got older. Uh, the Lord taught him a lesson quickly, which is don't have a piercing that a baby can grab onto. It's a big lesson to learn, right? Big lesson to learn. And so it's been part of that journey. Uh, and it's been an incredible time and I don't know how many more years God has for us. Uh, I keep uh, looking and wondering, maybe we'll get 25. I'd really like that. That'd move me up in the league table. But uh, we'll see what God, God has uh, and what God wants. And it's, uh, you know, our, the time for City Temple is not quite over yet. And, uh, and of course, anniversaries like this, uh, they're really special because you think back to your own call into ministry. Now, I was first called to be a pastor when I was 13 years old. Uh, and I knew, actually, I was called to preach. And I started preaching when I was 15. But even then, back in those early days, as a teenager, God was already doing things in me. I mean, He, he already had given me a prophetic edge. Uh, he'd already led me into uh, spiritual warfare, dealing with demonic spirits and things like that. I was doing that when I was a young teenager. Uh, also in worship leadership. As soon as that's why I learned how to play the guitar, so I could lead worship, and that's why I never got as good as Samuel, because once I could lead worship to a passable extent, I got lazy and didn't want to keep pressing 
pressing on that. I'm just so thankful that Samuel didn't, that he just kept pressing and kept improving. But all of that was part of that. When I was ordained uh, in 1988, this scripture from Timothy was, uh, was a scripture that was read and preached on at my ordination service there in the center part of the United States. And it's very important to me. And I just think back of all the lessons that the Lord taught me, even while I was a teenager. So many things that I rely on today. So many things about financial integrity, about how important it is to guard people's money because they're giving it to the Lord, not to me. How important it is to preach the truth no matter what. How important it is for these things. And the Lord was teaching me, and I'm so grateful for those lessons. And I'm so grateful that so far the Lord has preserved me, and, I'm faith, and I'm, I have faith that He will continue to do that, to preserve me into the future. Because when you look around, and if you've been watching the headlines now for quite a number of years now, not just the last couple years, but the last five, ten years, there have been so many high-profile failures of men and women in leadership, especially in Christian leadership, especially in churches. We've heard about things like abuse, not only sexual abuse, but also spiritual abuse, power abuse. Uh, we've heard about adultery. We've heard about embezzlement. We've heard about heresy and apostasy. And sometimes people who are preaching the false gospel actually become more popular and more elevated than those who preach the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And in fact, the whole heresy and apostasy has proliferated. have, say, a radio station who would say, the leadership of the station would say, we're not going to put that on because it's not really the gospel. Or a publisher of an album would say, you know, we're not going to publish that song or that album because it's not true to the Word of God. And a pastor would come in and say, I'm not going to sing that song because it sounds good, but it's not the right thing. Or we had television and the television producers were very careful in making sure of the quality of things that got onto the TV. But now, since all of that has expanded, it's become such a big task that so many don't have any filters whatsoever, especially if the person who's maybe saying the thing that's not quite right, or slightly, or largely heretical, is giving a lot of money, or they're bringing in a lot of revenue. And so we live in a time where people, as Paul said, are accumulating to themselves teachers. You can make your own playlist. You don't even have to bother about going into a church or being part of a congregation. Individual Christians, I think today, are more vulnerable than ever before when it comes to these predatory prophets and priests and pastors and others. But, I tell you, 
God is dealing with his church. And it's God's responsibility to deal with his church. You know, it's one of the reasons that we don't call particular ministries or pastors out by name in our fellowship because it's not our job to do that. It's God's job. As Paul says in Corinthians, who are you to judge another another person's servant? It's before the Lord that people will stand or fall. But it's a difficult, perilous situation that we find ourselves in and it's a situation that has grown increasingly worse over the last decade, and I expect it to continue. But the good news, as with all of these things that we've talked about and all the situations we find ourselves in, the Bible foresaw it. The Bible foresaw our present situation, and even the Old Testament speaks about it as in these passages we read today. You know, Hosea and Ezekiel were two prophets that were prophesying during a time of tremendous societal collapse. Everything that they knew and everything that they had been familiar with was falling apart. And they were seeing it all around them. And let me tell you, just because a prophet has made it in the book doesn't mean that they were popular. In fact, probably if they made it in the book, it means that they were very unpopular. Guys like Ezekiel and Hosea weren't getting a lot of airtime on the local Jewish radio station. Of course, it didn't exist back then, but you get the point. So they're speaking into a context that's very similar to ours, and we can learn a lot from them and what they say about how to understand the context we find ourselves in, as well as to understand what we need to do about it. So first, these passages talk to us a bit about God's controversy with the church. God has a controversy with His church right now, just like He had a controversy with His people back in that time. Now, obviously, in the Old Testament, the church didn't exist yet. It was the people of God. There was the the northern kingdom uh, called Israel or Ephraim and the southern kingdom. They were prophesying into this context, but they were the people of God, just like today, we as the church are the people of God. And so we can apply these lessons. And the prophetic word states what is lacking amongst the people of God. What is lacking amongst the people of God? This is God's controversy. The first thing that's lacking is faithfulness. The people were not being faithful. They were not following through on their commitments. They were not faithfully following the Lord. We see this all around us. There was no steadfast love. Now when you read steadfast love, the temptation is... Oh, it's about, oh, I love you, dear. Oh, I love you. And and we love each other our whole life. Now, there's part of that in there. But actually, steadfast love means that you're loyal to one another within the context of the covenant that you have together. So steadfast love in a church means that 
the members of the church are loyal toward one another so that they don't stab each other in the back or talk behind each other's back or criticize each other behind their backs, that kind of thing. That's steadfast love. Steadfast love within a family is faithfulness within the covenant of marriage. You know, the Bible never says that you have to feel in love in order to stay married. And yet, so many Christians today are leaving their marriages simply because, oh, things are a little rough. Oh, it didn't turn out the way uh, I wanted it to. Oh, they pass wind in the night. Come on. There's a lack of this steadfast love, this loyalty to the covenants that we've made. And the third problem, the third uh, thing that's lacking is the knowledge of God in the land. Now, by the knowledge of God, it's not just academic knowledge. It means active knowing of God. For example, I could know all the details about Karen's life and never have met Karen. But I'm in a relationship with Karen, so there's an active knowing that occurs. And at any given moment in time, I never assume that I know everything that I could possibly know about Karen. Because I guarantee you, I don't. But we've been married for 36 years. There's an active knowing that needs to be there. And not only do so many of God's people not actively know God anymore, but there's not even any active knowing of God in the land around us. There was a day when people of, of England, people of London, they may not follow God, they may, not, they may be atheists, but they had some kind of knowledge of who God was. But all of that's lacking today. It's lacking. And when those three things are lacking, there's always a problem. And the word from Hosea also shows what is happening. And what is happening here is happening in God's people. He's not talking about society. He's talking about God's people. And he says, amongst God's people, there's swearing, there's lying, there's murder. Now by murder, I mean, he, he literally met stabbing somebody in the back, probably. But by murder today, we can, we can talk about the people who attack and try to kill one another online. I've seen so many ministries that make it their job to murder any person, any pastor or leader or other ministry that they don't think measures up to their own personal standards. That's murder, nonetheless. There's murder, there's stealing, committing adultery, which is about all kinds of sexual immorality. These things are happening in the body of Christ today. There's breaking all boundaries, breaking all bonds, saying, I don't want to be restrained by you. It's very interesting over the years, and this has been true for 30 years or more, over the years, how many times I've said to somebody, you know, you really shouldn't do that, or that behavior is not godly, and do it in a very gentle, uh, compassionate kind of way. And the person says, well, I don't have to listen to you. And they walk away and they leave. It's just amazing. Stories I could tell, but I won't. But people are just, they don't want to be confined. They don't want to be restricted. Why do so many people 
fail to really commit to a church. It's because I don't want to be confined. I don't want to be boundaried. I don't want to be bound up. I want my freedom to go. That's why a lot of young people don't get married today. Well, what if I get married and somebody better comes along? People break all these bonds. There's an unwillingness to follow leaders. There's an unwillingness to commit yourself. And there's bloodshed upon bloodshed. Again, people attacking and criticizing and hurting one another without thought. That's why God has a controversy. And the Word tells us what the consequences are whenever there's this kind of controversy. What are the controversies? The land mourns. Now frankly, if you look at the United Kingdom or you look at the United States, I'd say in both countries now, let's limit us, I'm going to limit myself to two that I know, although this applies widely. In both these places, I tell you right now, it feels to me like the land is mourning. The people of the United States, the people of the United Kingdom, they're mourning. They don't realize it. But all these outcries, all these protests, all the anger and stuff that's rising up, it's a form of mourning. And our land is mourning. And the people languish. Even the animals languish. And God's people are destroyed for their lack of knowing God. So our nations mourn and the people languish when the church is not what God has called it to be. And that's what's happening all around us. Now, that's not every church. And I pray, Lord God, that we won't be one of those churches. But it is in many, many, many churches right now. And how do you know that the people are being destroyed for the lack of knowledge? Well, Paul tells Timothy three things are going to happen that you'll see. The first is people won't endure sound teaching. I mean, oh, it's boring. Oh, I don't want to do that anymore. Oh, I wanted some of those exciting sermons. Not another boring sermon just talking about Jesus. No, oh, that sermon really connected to my life, so I feel like it had to be great. You know, just because you feel like it connected with you doesn't mean it's sound. Doesn't mean it's healthy. They accumulate teachers to suit their passions and preferences. And so many times now I talk to people and say, oh yeah, you know, I'm part of a church, but I really, I really get fed by this person and this person and this person. And invariably they're part of really big ministries that are very popular and they have very popular messages. But you know, I've listened to a lot of those messages and I'm like, uh, there was... There was a commercial years ago, when I, an advert, when I was a young child for a restaurant that's coming back to the UK called Wendy's. It's one of a fast food hamburger. And they were known because they had big, big burgers, big sized burgers. And this little old lady would, would look at the hamburger from another fast food competitor and she'd go, where's the beef? Where's the beef? And, you know, I kind of feel like that with some of these sermons that I hear online. I'm listening to it. I'm saying, you know, that's good. It's kind of entertaining. But where's the beef? There's nothing to it. And people are turning away from truth 
and they are wandering into myths, to conspiracy theories and stories. And, you know, is there a hidden code in the Hebrew letters of the Bible? And, you know, if you spell hallelujah backwards, you get I don't know what. And all this kind of thing. What's that happening? Because God's people are being destroyed because they don't really know God. They're getting to know all the God's substitutes. But here's the key thing, according to the text here. Don't blame the people. Don't beat the sheep. And I hope none of you hear me beating you as sheep, because I'm, I'm awfully proud of you guys. I think person for person, pound for pound, ounce for ounce, we've got one of the finest churches I know of in the world. Can I get an amen? That's a, that's a good one. I heard one, but she's married to me, so she has to say that. I think pound for pound, ounce for ounce, and by the way, in saying that, I'm not saying you guys are fat. Uh, I think we have one of the finest churches in the world. Okay, that's a little bit better. But don't blame the people. Don't beat the sheep. I am tired of hearing pastors. I am tired of hearing prophets. I am tired of hearing preachers beat the sheep all the time. You people got to do this. You got to get better. You got to give more money. You got to... Don't beat the sheep because God's contention, God's controversy, yes, is with the church, but His contention is with the priest and the prophet. And by the way, when we use the word prophet and priest here, these words can be understood, even in their context, more generically to include today what we would call preachers or teachers, ministers, pastors, uh, teaching elders, and the like. God's contention is with the prophet and the priest. And notice what God says. He says, the problem with the priests if they, they have rejected knowing God and a true knowledge about God. There's so many places where maybe one Scripture verse is read, and that's about all that's said, and the sermon doesn't ever apply to the text of the Word. That's because so many people who are preaching in pulpits today, uh, they, they go off on their own tangent, or some don't even know God. There are many unconverted pastors and church leaders in the world today. And by the way, that's not a new problem. That's existed for hundreds of years off and on. The problem with the priests is that they also have forgotten God's ways and God's character. In other words, as Hosea says, the law of God. So instead, in many places, people substitute some kind of vague moralism. Preachers are substituting some kind of vague moralism or uh, some kind of way to do things that seem really good, uh, you know, in terms of the spirit of the age, but are not really good in accordance with the Scriptures. Sometimes people talk about Jesus as being love, and I do believe that. God is love, but the way they define love is different than the way the Bible would define love. The Bible defines love as obeying God, not as mushy feelings. And they are not faithful. In many cases, they're not faithful to their spouses. 
They're not faithful to their churches. They're always looking to where they could move, where they could go, how they could build their own platform, so on and so forth. That's the problem with the priests. The problem with the prophets, those who are saying that they hear God, is that they are prophesying from their own hearts, according to Ezekiel. They are following their own spirit, not God's spirit, and they haven't seen anything. And I see that so much. I say right now, and the things that I've read online, and the things that I've seen probably for the last decade, if not longer, my guesstimate, and it's a guesstimate, is about 80% of the prophecies that I read or have seen are not really from God. They're just echoing what other prophetic people have said. You can see that around the number of, of people who prophesied that Donald Trump was going to win the last election. People are prophesying from their own hearts what feels good, what they think is right, from their own spirit. They have not gone into the breaches. Prophetic people need to be there in the places where the wall is falling down to help arouse the people to repair those breaches in the walls. They've not built up a wall for the church to stand in battle, and we're standing in some of the biggest battle the church has faced in 2,000 years, and it's going to increase, it's not going to decrease. They have seen false visions and lying divinations. Sometimes it's from demons. That's not to say every errant word is a false vision or a lying divination, but some are. Some are. Some are just expansions of maybe some accurate words. I remember years ago, a, a very well-known prophet came into the UK and was ministering in Birmingham and spoke a prophetic word, and he spoke it over the entire United Kingdom. But I remember reading it, and I thought, that's not at all applicable. It was wrong. But it wasn't wrong for the churches there in Birmingham that he was speaking to at the time. It was quite accurate for them. His mistake was that he didn't listen closely enough to God, and so he, he expanded the word rather than let it be as specific as it was. These prophets, they say, declares the Lord when God hasn't, expoke, hasn't spoken, and yet they still expect God to fulfill their word. And that's a little bit about you uh, you know, saying, going to the bank and said, Rod told me to, to clear out his account and give you, give me his money. And they expect the bank teller to do it. I hope it won't happen. I'm pretty, uh, pretty confident it won't. Now the consequences for the priest and the prophet, for the, the preachers and the pastors and, and so on and so on, is that they will stumble by day and by night. They're going to be falling. They're going to get tripped up. And God will destroy their mother. Now that sounds pretty harsh and rough, but we can say the mother is really the people system from which they have come. There are many networks that have collapsed because there were false prophets or teachers in their midst. And I know a few, even in recent years. God will destroy their mother. God will forget their children 
Again, that sounds really harsh. But what it means is that they will not ex- their followers, which is their children, will not experience God's blessings in their lives. They'll be overlooked. And God ultimately will reject them as leaders. And that's a terrifying thing. But it's to be expected, as James says in James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many should want to be teachers because teachers are judged by a stricter standard. So we know that God has a controversy. And we know that God has a contention. But what we really need to know is how God confirms genuine prophets and preachers and priests and etc. in the world today. Because what we as Christians need to do is make sure that we are connecting ourselves with preachers, with pastors, with leaders who have God's confirmation on their lives. And if you will look, you will be able to see it. If you will look, you will be able to discover it. And sometimes you won't see it clearly, but sometimes looking will raise the questions. So, how do you know who are the genuine prophets and priests? And how do you know how to connect yourself? Well, first of all, according to Timothy here, Paul and Timothy, these are people who live consciously in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and who realize that Jesus Christ will come to judge the living and the dead. They realize that Jesus has appeared and His kingdom is now with us and they live constantly in that reality. You can see it in their lives. You can see it in how they orient their lives. You can see it in what they own. You can see it in what they do whether they live with this sense of God's presence and wanting to invite God's presence and honor God's presence. The second thing, they preach the Word. Mostly Jesus Christ, who is the Word, but also the Bible as the Word of God. They're not preaching their own ideas and their own opinions. If they give you their idea or opinion, they'll tell you, hey, this is my opinion, this is my idea. But they're seeking to preach the Word of God. They're seeking to preach Jesus Christ and make sure that Jesus gets all the glory and all the honor, not them. They're out to build a platform for Jesus, not a platform for their own ministry. They are people who are ready in season and out of season. Now that not only means that You can answer questions about your faith uh, even when you're just walking down the street and somebody asks you, which is important if you're a leader. But that also means that you realize there's never a time when you're not a Christian leader. You know, I I realize uh, that there's never a time when I'm not a minister of Jesus Christ. If I'm lounging on the beach, or if I'm in a monastery, or if I'm preaching, or if I'm sitting at home, I live with that reality. I live with that reality. And it's always there. It's never not there. 
And that's important. Because that's the nature of the call that we've received as Christian leaders. So ready or not, you live for Jesus. All the time, no matter where you are. That's why for me, when I go on holiday, a lot of time up in Lewis, you know, they ask me, they ask me to preach a lot. And, and I love to do that. And it's part of my calling. And, uh, and, and I don't know if I've ever said no. But you think, well, Rod, you're on holiday. You're supposed to be taking a break. And I am on holiday. And I am taking a break. But I'm also a servant of Jesus Christ, a minister of the gospel. And so if I'm asked to preach, I'm going to preach. One of the worst things about having laryngitis, not being able to preach with a strong voice, not being able to sing with a strong voice, but that's the way it is. Already in season and out of season. I better speed it up. They reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Now let me tell you, those first two words are miserable. I absolutely hate reproving or rebuking somebody. Reproving is correcting someone's behavior. Rebuking is publicly saying, you know what you're doing is absolutely wrong. But I've had to do that. And I will do it. I much prefer to, ex uh, to exhort, not extort. I keep wanting to say extort. I much prefer to extort, to encourage people. But when you do these things, and this is the key, there's a lot of leaders that love to reprove or rebuke. But the key is that they do so with full patience and teaching. In other words, they take their time and they make sure that they're explaining what they're doing and they're doing everything for the upbuilding of people. They are sober-minded, according to, to Paul, to Timothy. That means they are consistent and clear thinking. They're not wandering around all over the place. And this is one of the most important ones. They endure and have, endure, have endured suffering. Never trust a leader who hasn't suffered. Never trust a leader who hasn't suffered. They share the good news of Jesus Christ as good news. It's good news. It's not bad news. And they fulfill the ministry to which God has called them. Now what does that mean? It means they are faithful in serving God where God has put them and not always looking to go someplace else. I know too many pastors who run away the first, time, first sign of a wolf coming in or the first sign of trouble. Those aren't Jesus' leaders. They're not the ones that God has confirmed. They are faithful. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't move us. He does. But He doesn't quite move us as often as some people think. So what we need to realize, yes, God has a controversy with the church, and God has a contention with certain foolish priests and prophets, but God also has a confirmation process and as we come together with those that God is confirming as leaders, we receive the blessing that falls on them. We receive the protection that falls on them. We receive the favor 
that falls on them. We are beneficiaries of how they benefit. And it's not a selfish thing. But we benefit as leaders. If we have God's confirmation, He gives us an anointing, and He gives us a calling, and He gives us a favor, and He gives us an honor that we're not looking for people to give us, we're looking to give away to people. If somebody has honor in the kingdom of God, they give honor. They don't look to receive it. If somebody has favor in the kingdom of God, they give favor. They don't look to receive it. Because God will give us more favor, more honor than we can ever get from anybody else. And I'll talk about that more in a couple weeks. But we need to gather together. In the coming season, the people of God, many people, will be destroyed. They're not going to lose their salvation. But their lives are going to be messed up because of a lack of knowing God. And this knowing God, we need to understand it's a relational thing that only happens in relationship. Relationship first with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit, but also a, a dynamic relationship with God's people and with God's leaders, those that have God's confirmation. Seek them out. And let me tell you, if you don't feel like the confirmation of God is on my life, you should leave City Temple. You really should. I always pray and I always seek that. I always want it. But if I don't have it, find somebody who does. Find somebody who does. Because we need a healthy church family. And I'm so thankful for this congregation. I'm so thankful for you guys. No, we're not perfect. But I tell you, we have so many good signs of health. Yeah, we're not, we're not full in terms of the building. Our building's not full, but we are full in terms of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to get fuller. We're going to get fuller. We need healthy leaders because healthy leaders will help us serve, help serve as filters in this messed up world that we're living in. But ultimately, we need to have and maintain that healthy, knowledge-filled, knowing-filled relationship with God with God our Father that comes only through Jesus Christ, knowing He died on the cross and rose from the dead for us, and that comes only as we are filled with God's Holy Spirit who converts us and unites us with Jesus and the Father. Now, if that's not true for you personally, then you need to surrender your life to Jesus today so it does become true. These are the times in which we live. It's a new day. As we see God's old words continue to speak into the new days in which we live, to the glory of God in Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious God, we love you and we worship you and we honor you. We thank you for all that you've done and all that you continue to do in us. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would just help us to discern. Help us to discern those leaders, those ministries, and those churches that have your confirmation. 
Help us to see that no matter where we are. Help us to remember these factors. Help us to connect ourselves fully to those churches, leaders, groups, ministries confirmed by you. And Father, we pray that City Temple, we know in the past that there were times when leaders of this church had not been confirmed by you and they preached a false gospel. But we thank you that those times are over and you have forgiven us. We know that there's been times in the past when the church may have behaved in ways or, or believed things that were not confirmed by you. But we thank you that you have forgiven us and those times are past. And we pray, Lord God, that not only today would we have the confirmation of your Holy Spirit upon us individually and corporately, but that we would take that confirmation into the future that you have for us so that this city would see, so this nation would see, so that this world would see that at City Temple, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is the only Lord. There is no demon that reigns here. There is no false gospel that exists here. That Jesus is on the throne and Jesus will always be on the throne as long as this church exists. And God, we pray that no matter what, as this church goes forward to the time when Jesus comes again, that it would always be served by a man or a woman of God with your full confirmation who won't back down, who will preach the truth no matter what, and who will live boldly and faithfully for Jesus. We love you and praise you and thank you. We pray all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord.